Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 296. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And how do you build an institution? How do you build and maintain something that people love and have it go strong for two decades? How do you do that? I'm not entirely sure because I've built this thing for seven years and sometimes I feel like it's going to kill me. Like I'm going to die in the middle of an edit or while trying to scramble to find a new guest to fill another week's worth of content. Anything you do creatively will become both your blessing and your curse. And this week's show, I've got Michael Trundle. He is the creator, one of three, of Lip Gloss. If you've been in Denver for any length of time and you participate socially in the city, chances are excellent you've either attended Lip Gloss, you've heard of it, Or you at least know about it. And it's a tribute to him that he has built this into such a remarkable institution. I've been to Lip Gloss a few times, and I don't go to DJ nights. But Michael, a.k.a. Boy Hollow, takes us through the journey from inception to recently celebrating its 20-year anniversary. And it's a fascinating tale. Because like with anything else, there are roadblocks, there are speed bumps, there are potholes along the way. It's not entirely smooth sailing. But overall, it's a story of success because lip gloss has brought so much joy to people in Denver for the last two decades. It's a thrill to get to highlight it here. I was introduced to Michael through our friend Cecile Elliott, who has continued to throw me great guests between John Connolly and Tony Zizas, Michael's wife, Kitty, who owns Revolver Salon. I have had great guests all through this social connection. So the fact that our kids are like best friends. That's really helpful, but Cecile, thank you as always for hooking me up here. Now, the thing that's most interesting to me about this week's episode, and I had a great time talking to Michael. We talk music, we talk culture, we talk building something that's successful, but what's interesting to me is his candor, particularly as we're talking about drinking, because we're talking about a party night, and if you were the maestro of that party, how do you get on the correct wavelength? Now, Michael's very candid about how much he drinks, and I'm not going to step on it here, but it's fascinating to listen to because it's almost like a prerequisite for the job, at least in the way he puts it, and I don't disagree with him. But I ask him if it ever concerns him how much he's drinking, and he says, yeah, I worry about it. I fret about it. And we talk some of the mitigation strategies he uses now. We talk about his visit to the doctor a few years ago, which pleasantly surprised him. You'll hear it in the episode. And it's a lesson in when you take something that you love and you turn it into a career, you don't get to pick and choose which aspects of that are going to play a role in your life. You just don't. You get the whole package. You get everything. And I love it when I talk about aspirational jobs. I mean, who wouldn't love to drink and play music and get paid well for it? That sounds like a dream. And it is a dream. But what are the realities of it? What are some of the things you may not have considered about that type of dream. And Michael does a great job of demystifying this, from dealing with club owners to the unexpected interactions of being Denver famous to, like I said, his relationship with alcohol. A lot here, terrific episode, and I'm thrilled I get to bring it to you and be part 
of Lip Gloss's 20-year anniversary. Now, before we get going in earnest, just want to make a quick announcement. I was recently added to Pandora, so if you're listening to me there, welcome, thank you. And I am still on every other podcatcher there is. So whether it's iTunes, whether it's Stitcher, whether it's Spotify, or whether it's iHeartRadio, no matter what you're listening on, one of the things you can do to really help me out is hit that subscribe button, get brand new episodes delivered right to you. They happen every Wednesday. And as long as you're there, it takes two seconds, just click that rating. And if you're feeling so inclined, take a couple of minutes, just write us a nice note. That would be terrific. Those types of metrics help increase visibility. They help your show perform. And I'm intensely grateful to you if you do. Been doing this for seven years. Will I make it to 20? I have no idea. But here's someone who has made it that far. Episode 296 of the John of All Trades podcast features Michael Trundle, a.k.a. Boy Hollow, creator of Lip Gloss, recently celebrating its 20-year anniversary. He doesn't hold back in this episode, and I'm thrilled to bring it to you, and it starts right now. Fucking great, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, I mean, it it has. It's been 14 months since I really played to a a dance club crowd. Uh, last summer we did some rooftop patio stuff, but it was, it was limited to 40 or 50 people. They had to sit at a table. Um, you know, they could dance there too, but it was very, it was very different. It was not the same thing, but I've been doing it for almost 20 years. And so like 14 months is a long time. Sorry about the kid in the background. 14 months is a long time, but at the same time, when you've been doing it for almost 20 years, it's pretty easy to get back into it. And the crowd's very forgiving because they've been dying to dance for 14 months and so even if you're maybe making song choices you know you sometimes you maybe lose a little bit of that skill at reading the crowd and stuff they're so eager to dance right now that i you know so you, I could, you couldn't fire wrong could you i could but well, I, sure. I, it's much harder um <laughs> i think i think they're pretty forgiving and and you know there is a formula to it like you, you've been doing it for long enough you kind of know how to work the crowd a little bit and yeah. i don't think they've changed that much in the last 14 months except to want to dance more than they ever have before so i i think that's probably fair what i pictured i remember early in the pandemic we were all talking about you know we're like a month in two months in whatever and it's like when this thing's over what am i going to go do right and a lot of people all said you know i gotta go dance i want to go see a show i want to do whatever and i pictured it being like did you see that second matrix movie yeah you remember that weird like rave scene wasn't very good but that big rave scene yeah 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 like and, and that kind of Grinds the movie to a halt in a very weird way, but yeah, yeah, I kind of pictured it being like that, um, just having that kind of energy. So, man, when you got in there, first crowd, what was it like? Insane. That first night back was insane. Um, It definitely second week it calmed down a lot. It's still we're still capacity every night, but that first night when we opened doors, we had a line around the block at 9 p.m. and like the dance floor was flooded with people. It, it took about 9.30 before the dance floor was really full just because they had to check vaccination cards and like there was a whole process where people would get in. But it was, I mean, it was insane. The dance floor was packed from open to close. It just completely packed. But so this is Michael Trundle, and you are the DJ at Lip Gloss, and you've been doing this now for how long? Actually, this June 25th will be officially the 20th anniversary of when we started the party. Wow. So we started on a Monday Monday, June 25th, 2001 was our first lip gloss. Okay. Um, and so we normally do our anniversary party at the end of June. That's obviously been pushed back just because I didn't book anybody for it because we didn't know if we were going to be open or anything else. I always book a, a bigger act. 
um, I've had MGMT play it, uh, The Faint, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I should say I've had them DJ for it. I, I, I could not afford to book them to play live. <laughs> uh, MGMT, but, uh, get out of here. So, yeah, right. They were, they were plenty expensive to book for a DJ set. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll be doing it on the second Friday, uh, August 13th. Uh, Friday, August 13th, we'll be doing it, but this year is, is the 20th anniversary. So in four days. Good Lord, man. That to me is remarkable. And I remember I met you through Cecile Elliott, mutual friend of ours, and she has always hooked me up with great guests, including your wife, who uh, who owns Revolver Salon, and that was just a phenomenal episode. And I'm so happy to see Revolver. Well, I, didn't listen, I didn't listen to it, so <laughs> okay. <laughs> She'll love that. But when you told me you DJed lip gloss, like I'm not a guy who goes out and dances. I, like I, that's that's not part of generally what I do, but I know what what lip gloss is, man. You've built this thing into an institution in Denver, and I think if you ask anyone who goes out or, you know, has not been living under a rock, they know what lip gloss is. Yeah, I would say anybody over the age of maybe twenty, maybe twenty seven, twenty eight. It definitely like you know, there's we lost touch with the crowd for a little bit. I had to move venues unexpectedly at one point. It really damaged the party, and we we brought it back, but it was it was a journey, and I think there is like a a small age group where they don't know it. Anybody who was going to clubs, anybody who was 21 as of maybe five or six years ago, um, that isn't, I, I, there is like a Lodo crowd, like a downtown crowd. Right. Pops up, I have no idea what the hell we are. But, um, man, if you were going out in 2006, 2007, I mean, we were, you know, we were a thousand people a night and, and everybody in the party. Um, God. A lot of people still do. That's remarkable. And what I think I'm most interested in, so I'm going to lead off with this question is, how do you build something that, that, that gets that much cachet and has that kind of staying power? That may not be a question you can answer directly, but maybe take me through the journey of you got the idea for lip gloss. You throw it out there June 25th, 2001. It goes from there. So talk me through kind of how the, the evolution happened. So there, were, there were actually three of us that started the night. Uh, Tim Cook, my buddy Tyler Jacobson, who now does or at least was doing Mile High Soul Club. Which, um, I think he's, he's stepped back from that, maybe stepped back in a little bit. It's, but we, the, Tim Cook actually got the night. Tyler and I had talked about starting the DJ night for quite a while and had met with a couple of venue owners and not having any luck really. And then Tim sort of randomly got, uh, once a month Monday night and, uh, asked us if we wanted to do it with him. And we were like, fuck yeah, we want to do that. That sounds awesome. What, and, what were you doing at the time? Uh, PBX programming for Lucent Technologies. Okay. That, that sounds <laughs> uh, scintillating. It was, what? it was a corporate job and I hated it. Sure. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I was just doing like, you know, and I don't, I think I was still Lucent at that point, although I may have been a quest at that point. But in any case, it was, it was a field that I was already moving out of. I was going, I, I was back in school during my, uh, literature degree or creative writing degree at that point, I guess. I ended up doing a master's in literature after that. But, you know, we just, for us, it was just a fun thing. We thought it would last a year or something. And we got in there and, you know, we just, we, Tim and I went out every night of the week. Um, and so we knew a lot of people and a lot of our friends showed up. We were at a little lesbian club called 60 South, which later became Three Kings. Yeah. Uh, and is now HQ. And so we were there for a few years and we just, um, there were a lot of DJ parties in town doing, you know, and they're, but they're all pretty genre specific. You had a rip pop night, you had an 80s night. Sure. Just, and we went into it. I, I think Tim and uh, Tyler really wanted to do more of a Britpop thing. Um, and I was into Britpop, but I was also really into a lot of other stuff. And I think we sort of came to the agreement that, like, look, as long as it's good music, we'll play it. 
Sure. So, you know, I'd be playing, I'd be playing Wu-Tang and, and some Britpop and some 80s and some goth and kind of, so we just kind of played whatever the hell we wanted and it just, it just took off. Like we just did really well, pretty rapidly. We moved to every Friday at, uh, well, to every Monday first at uh, 60 South and then they moved us every Friday and that was probably within three months of starting, four months of starting. That feels uh, fast. Is that fast? Yeah, it was fast, but I mean, they, they, they had parties that were doing okay. But, you know, we fairly quickly were doing more people on Monday nights than their Friday night parties. <laughs> they were just kind of like, you know, you guys want this. And, and we were like, yeah, let's do it. And we ended up winning a Best of Westward award. And at some point, we decided to move over to La Rumba, um, which is where yeah. kind of the became the place. Because I think over at uh, 60 South, we probably never really broke a couple hundred people. Mm-hmm. Um, which wasn't bad for that venue. I mean, it was that was, you know there was at first in Broadway, and that was just a shithole area at the time. Like Baker's very cool now, but at the time it was not. It was not a cool area. It was a dirty area. It was a dangerous area. It wasn't a a place. I was not really dangerous, but it was real rundown, and your car would get broken into. Well, I mean, so you know, okay, so sixty South Broadway. I remember I was working down there right around that time. I was working at a place called Sports Rack. And yeah. like, do you remember Sports Rack? It was down on like Broadway and Maple, kind of ca- yeah, uh, they, catty corner from the Skylark. Was it like a bicycle shop or something? Yeah. So we sold yeah, bike yeah, racks and ski racks and hitches and shit like that. And so, you know, you'd go down there and you're right. It was fine. It was sketchy. It wasn't dangerous, but it was sketchy. It was just, yeah. Well, you, know, you would probably have a nice car park there. Because no. And, and it wasn't cool. Bad. Like that was the thing. It wasn't, oh. it wasn't like cool. And then I remember a few years later, they put in uh, like Sobo 151, which is like a hockey bar. And so we were really, the abs were really good back then. So we'd go down there. And I remember like South Broadway started to grow up a little bit and it got, yeah. it got cool again, uh, or maybe for the first time. I don't know. But uh, yeah, well, back. High Dive and Sputnik went over there. Right. Which, you know, right across the street from where we were. And they were, they were the exact same kind of crowd. Like they are, all of our people who came to our party went, hung out there and, I DJed their, the grand opening for Sputnik on New Year's Eve. Um, and yeah, so that area did start becoming a cooler area. Now it's like, you know, it's nothing, it's not even an area I, I generally want to hang out with anymore. It's definitely, it's kind of become mini Lodo. Yeah. Um, which is fine, but it's kind of a bro fest. Um, it's just not, I'm not into sports bars and stuff, and that's kind of what's over there now. <laughs> um, it, I died in Sputnik are both still super cool, but most of the places over there I'm not going to go hang out. Dude, places. and I, I will always have love for the Hornet. I mean, the Hornet has phenomenal food, great cocktails. And so, yeah, it's, it's so funny to hear you describe the evolution of that area because you find people who take risks and will, you know, try and create something. It's like, Hey, you've got, you have this spot at 60 South and you're going to make the most of it. And then I don't know, by virtue, you know, people start coming there and it's like, there needs to be more around here that, that like right. we can do that we can hang out in. And so, yeah, you're describing Sputnik and high dive. That all kind of makes sense to me, and it's funny because I was up in Fort Collins at the time, as you know, you're describing this. And when I came down, South Broadway was again like much cooler than when I left when I was working at the vehicle rack place. So yeah, um, um, yeah, you know, and I, I like to think that the boss had a little bit to do with that, but at the same time, it's it probably had some tangential effects. But I, I think that that neighborhood was going to go that direction. It's just kind of you know, Denver was getting bigger; it was spreading. That's the direction it's going to spread. Yeah. Um, we have to get in there a little early and not because we had any great desire to be in that neighborhood. It's just, that's, that's the bar that offers us a spot. <laughs> totally. um, and, you know, we were like, this is cool. That's fine. And we loved the people there and we were there for uh, several years and then it got sold and bought and 
kind of like when it, the last time it got sold, we just weren't, we weren't not feeling it, but we weren't really feeling it. It wasn't, sure. uh, people that bought it were taking away the, it, like I said, when we moved, there was a lesbian bar and we actually really lo- ended up loving that because that crowd embraced us and we embraced them. And it was like this great, cool influx of people who maybe wouldn't normally have hung out very much. And we yeah. had a really strong lesbian following for God, a decade, probably after that. Um, it just kind of followed us over to La Rumba. But yeah, we were there for a few years and the new owners kind of started taking the ceiling caved in and things weren't repaired. And, yeah. um, La Rumba wanted us real bad and we went over there and, and it just went, it went berserk after about a year there. It went just nuts. Like every night the doors would open at nine and we'd have a line, you know, around the corner of people waiting to get in. And, you know, if you weren't there by 1030, you probably weren't going to get in. Well, so you describe it to me as, you know, every night you're doing it. How, how frequently were you doing it or like, was this, okay. So still, still just once a week thing. Yeah. It started as a monthly, but it was, it was only once a month for a few months. Okay. Before we went to a weekly and it's been weekly with a couple, like, uh, obviously the 14 month break here. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Um, and even, but even, I mean, we went last summer, we went back to week. I have no idea what's happening upstairs with my child. Um, things are falling. <laughs> it's it's but, all good. Uh, four and a half year old man. We, uh, we went to weekly this last summer up on the patio at Bar Standard. Um, so for about three months, four months during the pandemic, we were every Friday. Um, and then when Julian was born, I, we moved to a, a more monthly format for about four months when he was born, just cause I think I was burned out. I needed a break. I wasn't feeling like the party had been struggling a little bit. Yeah. Um, I wasn't invested in it. I had a kid. And so we moved to more of a monthly thing. And then we moved down to Mill Bar from Bar Standard and went back to weekly. Uh, and that was several years ago. Um, about, well, you know, three and a half years ago, four years ago, I guess, five, four years ago. And so, we've been weekly ever since and we're killing it there. So. <laughs> so you've been at this for 20 years now. And you said you got a little burned out when Julian was born. And that's totally understandable. I'm curious, doing this for 20 years, man, like, how, how do you keep it fresh for yourself? How do you, how do you continue to get up for it? I mean, there are times when it, when it doesn't feel really fresh. I mean, it's, you know, but at the end of the day, man, I get, I get to drink and play music for a living. Yeah. Like I day and drink and I, I love being around an audience. Um, I'm a little weird in a sense that I'm kind, I'm kind of an introvert. But I really need like this extrovert energy. Like I, I yeah. thrive yeah. on this kind of energy. So I'm the kind of guy that I love going to movies alone. I love going out to dinner alone. I love going to a bar and sitting at the bar by myself and having a drink. None of that bothers me in the slightest. Yeah, I'm with and you I, on that. Yeah. And I always make 10 friends. Like, like at the bar, I will always meet somebody and talk to them and never talk to them again after that. But I get a lot from that. But I'm also, I'm not the kind of person who wants to go to a typical musical festival and be surrounded by 8,000 people and right. people bumping into me. And like, that's not my scene. And so being at the club, like in, in that respect is really nice for me because I'm in the DJ booth. I do get some separation. And then when I get breaks from DJing, I can go out in the smoking patio with a friend and chat or whatever. And yeah. other than that, keeping it fresh. I mean, I, I love music and I, you know, I find, I keep, I always find the music I like. There have been definitely dry spells, you know, beginning of the 2000s era for me is when it was like the heyday, like the strokes and Interpol and, and bands like that coming out that I just adored. And it's, I don't think I've seen a real period since then where I feel like there was that much amazing music coming oh, out. Oh, sure. Yeah. But, um, outside of a couple of dry spells, I'm still always finding music that I think is fantastic and it works on the dance floor. And that's kind of the beauty of lip gloss is that we tend to focus on an indie, um, pretty heavily. 
we do dip into some eighties and some other stuff, but indie as a genre has, at least what we define as indie for the, for the dance party has been consistently alive since then. So I get to play old school indie like the strokes. I get to play newer stuff that's coming out this whole 20, 30 years of, you know, everything from joy division through LCD sound system, through beach house, through all these kinds of things. We get to, uh, play the whole breadth of it. What, what's some of the, what's a recent band that's, that's really, uh, got you going lately? What, like, what's one that you're into? I mean, like, so they're not terribly recent. So like Tame Impala, I just think it's like, yeah, amazing. And the only reason I bring them up is, is I feel like their music went through a pretty big change uh, a couple albums ago and, and it became far more dance floor friendly and it's just fantastic. There's a guy called Orthy, O-R-T-H-Y, that does sort of a disco-y, dark disco-y type vibe that I absolutely love. La Imperatrice, who's like a French band. I'm really kind of getting into sort of the, the, the disco thing. I've been really kind of getting into French house for the last couple of years. Oh, fun. A lot of, uh, a lot of this new music that's coming out, you know, sort of Daft Punky stuff. Um, a lot of this music that's coming out in the indie scene has some of that vibe. And so I'm really enjoying a lot of that type of stuff. Totally. And then I enjoy some of the harder stuff that I don't play at the club, like the idols and some harder post-punk stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm a punk rock guy, like at heart. So like, that's sort of the way music was always filtered through that lens for me for the longest time. You know, Kristen would introduce me to new stuff and I'd be like, well, there's not enough drums in this clearly. Like, (laughs) and so like, that was a real mental hurdle for me to get over. But once I opened up to that, I go, oh man, like this stuff can exist on its own merits. And like, I, I realized like I was closing myself off to so much because it didn't fit a very specific aesthetic criteria, which is why like DJ nights and going out to clubs is so important because I mean, Jesus, I was in Vegas one time at the pool and the DJ played, it's like that Pitbull JLo song, which should not in any way be something that I'd enjoy. Like, you know, he's naming like Brazil, Morocco, London to Ibiza, that song, right? And I'm listening to it, and I go, this is not my jam, but I'm watching this unbelievable dance floor in front of me, and I will always have a positive association with that goofy song by Pitbull, who... Enjoying themselves. Yeah, I can't stand it. I actually don't even know the song. Um, I, I, uh, <laughs> people will be like, you play this this track? And I'll be like, I don't know that track. Like, the last one was up and all, like, I don't know that track. like, how do you not know this? You're a DJ. And I'm like, I'm a DJ who, like, listens to music I like, and I play music I like, and... I don't know. I know some top 40 music, but I don't know a lot of it. It's not my speed. I don't care about it. I'm not interested in it. And, you know, with a four and a half year old at home, man, I don't have the mental energy to <laughs> go out and track down music that I don't like and that I'm never going to play. Like, it's just not, it's not right. my will. I search out music that I love and that's what I pay attention to. So, well, Michael, here's the thing too. It's, it's like lip gloss is not going to, be exactly for everyone. If you want a DJ that's spinning top 40, like current top 40, I'm sure yeah, you can sure. find that in any number of places in Denver. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're a niche. We're definitely a niche night. Like it's, it's, you know, you, it's, it's, it's why we don't do the people we used to do in the early mid 2000s when Franz Ferdinand and the Strokes were the biggest bands on the planet. And they were, and the killers, like this, yeah. the killers were up. And, you know, they were, but they were top 40, they became top 40 mainstream. They weren't when we started playing them, but they very rapidly became that. And so it made sense that at that point, we were the only people in the city playing that kind of music. I think there were other small parties as well, but we were like the big party playing that stuff. And, you know, we flooded with people because it was a very popular genre to the general public at that point. 
it's not now. It's not as, as popular right. in the genre. You know, public. And so, yeah, we're smaller. And there are a lot more parties doing that. Like, maybe not playing what we play, but touching on it to some degree. And so, yeah, there's you want to go to Top 40 or Hip Hop Club. I get people ask that stuff, and they act shocked that I won't play it. I'm like, man, I I have total respect for the fact you like that music. I'm not going to play it. And I, you know, go go downtown, man. There's like every corner will have three different clubs playing this. <laughs> Are there anything that's sort of in your canon that people request that you go, no, I'm not like I'm not into that, or like that's overplayed, or whatever? Like, do you have any yeah. kind of do not plays? I mean, I won't. I generally won't play stuff I don't like. Um, but you know, a lot of people will. People will consider a lot of stuff like against me and sort of like that pop punk. Um, emo at the drive-in type of stuff that was popular at the same time we were doing lip gloss. And yeah. I suppose you can argue it's indie in a way, but I won't play into that. It's just not my, you know, I'm not going to play Imagine Dragons. <laughs> but some people will consider that to be similar. And there is a lot of crossover with people who like some of the stuff we play that also really like that stuff. And I have to be like, look, man, I'm just not going to, it, it does, there's something off with it. I can't always, Sometimes I can definitely describe exactly what's off with it, and other times I can't. I can just have to be like, look, I can't explain to you why I won't play this, but it doesn't fit what we are. It's just, it's, there's something intrinsic in it that, to my understanding of my party, that tells me I can't play that. I've listened right. to it, it's not what we do, and I, I can't define it for you. And especially because, you know, I'm sitting there in the DJ booth trying to work, and I need to get my next song on, and, you know, they want me to get in a big conversation about it. I'm just like, I can't. But I'm not going to play that. I was I was going to ask, do people ever get shitty about it? Oh yeah, yeah. And and how do you how do you handle that? How do you how do you navigate that? I mean, as a general rule, it's you know it, it's if they get shitty, I just say I'm not going to do it, and I go my headphones on, I go back to work. Yeah. I'm generally really nice about it. I'm not mean to people about it. Like I, I try to be respectful of the fact that they like the music, and I don't have to like you know they have shitty taste in music. That's it's not my problem. It's their problem. And, you know, they right. think they might think my taste of music is shitty. Now, I'm, I'm correct and they're not, but, you know, it's okay. I just try to be polite about it. Like, this is not what we do. Um, if you think of something else, feel free to come back. Right. Um, as a general rule, I mean, I don't ever really get physically violent. They'll just, some people like sneer and walk away and they'll go stand with their little group of friends and stare at you for a little while. <laughs> oh, no. Whatever. And you're like, oh, man, I'm, you know, there's a, the four you were saying over there, and there's like 250 people freaking out in the dance floor right now. So you can either join in that part of it, or you can sit over there and be mad that I won't play Rihanna or whatever it is you ask. Right, totally. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to play Ocean Avenue by Yellow Card for you. Yeah, definitely not. Right. So, <laughs> which is a song I love, but I would never request from you. Like and that, that would be one of those bands. That I think some people might be like, "Well, why would you play? I hear rock and roll music. Like, why aren't you playing that?" And I'm like, "Because it's not. It's not indie. It's in no way what we do." And in the same way that I'm not going to, you know, play, just because I'm playing something electronic, I'm not going to play Avicii. Like, you know, I realize the song sounds a lot electronic to you, but there's a, there is a difference in what this music is. And if you don't know what it is, I, I can't always explain it to you, and I definitely don't have time when I'm saying Avicii. Totally. And, like, here's the thing, too. I, I was frustrated with radio when I was in high school. So when I got to college, I'm like, I can bitch about the radio, or I can go to the college radio station and make my own fucking show. Why don't I do right. that? And so, yeah. like, to this point, like, get yourself some DJ equipment, curate your own night, like, do do it for, like, have a house party or something, get some skills, and you know what? Have your own DJ night, but you, right. you get editorial control over this, which I think is important and some people forget. Right. And I, you know, and I, but I, I do find, you know, I think we used to get a lot more shitty 
I don't want to say shitty people, but people that acted shitty. Yeah. Who was in the DJ booth a lot more years and years ago. I feel like this, this younger generation, they get DJs more. They get that concept more. Oh, um, yeah. You know, like, cause they, they do tend to be more play. I, I get a lot more going on where I'm just like, no, it's not what we do. And they're just kind of like, okay, cool. No worries. I really love you playing. It's fun. And then they, they go off and they're fine about it. And I always really appreciate that. And I feel like it's, I feel like sort of the, uh, as the genres of music through the internet, they haven't done what I wanted them to do, which is I wanted the indie scene to become a stronger scene in and of itself. But what has happened is that people have opened themselves up to more music in the sense of like, you know, you were saying like, you know, for a long time, I was very tied to this genre of music. I was as well. When I was younger, I was super into goth and into like post-punk and that was like my thing. And if it didn't sound like that. Yeah, it was crap. Like, fuck it. And so, you know, it's, and then breaking out, I had friends who were super into hip hop and got me into hip hop. And all of a sudden I realized, oh, there's a lot more music I need to like. I feel like the, the younger crowd is far more receptive and open. And you will find people who genuinely love Drake or, you know, some top 40 hip hop that I think is just terrible, but they will also genuinely love Tame Impala or Empire of the Sun yeah. or whatever, you know? And so you find, I think, a lot more people who are more open to music um, as a general rule, which at the end of the day is a good thing. I do hate sometimes I feel like it waters down the genres a little bit. And it, that's one of the things that does make it hard when people come up and ask for something they consider indie. And I'm like, that's not fucking indie, man. That's not what, that, whatever you're asking for is not, I'm not going to play that. And I don't care if you found it in the indie section on Apple Music. Yeah. The, the flattening out of genre distinctions, I think is, it, it has its benefits and it certainly has its drawbacks. I kind of like sometimes, you know, hard genre distinctions. But other times, like, artists will always bristle at that and, like, they don't want to be pigeonholed as being sure. beholden to a certain sound or a certain aesthetic or a certain set of, I don't know, maybe cultural or, or ideological values. Right. Well, and then there's music, you know, you look at songs like Hey Ya by Outkast. Yeah. That I swear every fucking indie club on the planet when that song came out was playing that song, as was every single top 40 hip hop club. And so it's a song people call it, be like, well, this is an indie. And you'd be like, but it doesn't matter. Like, it's just that fucking good. It's, it's indie in the sense that this is a hip hop group who just made this song that doesn't sound like a fucking hip hop song. Yeah. And it was such a banger. Like everybody fucking played it. And so, you know, you can argue that you're, you're going to be super strict about your genres at the same time. Lip gloss is always, you know, we, we lean indie, but I play a lot of sixties. I play a lot of soul. Yeah. I play yeah. a lot of stuff that isn't necessarily going to be indie. But then as you said, I curate, I also get to choose not to play something because it's not indie. Yeah, well, there were times on my punk rock radio show where it's like, you know what, we're just going to play Folsom Prison Blues by Johnny Cash. You know, right. Because it's like every punk, every punk rocker, and I, I say that obviously no, it's probably not true, but every punk rocker fucking loves Johnny Cash. Yeah. You know, yeah, he's they, punk. They, they, he's they, punk. Share, they share something like, you know, like there's, there's punk rock inside Johnny Cash. And if you can't recognize that, I mean, what are we doing here? Well, you know, I mean, the rockabilly scene and punk all like that yeah. shit all came together. And you look at bands like Joy Division, where you're like, they were post-punk new wave before post-punk new wave was a thing. <laughs> right, yeah. uh, as were most of post-punk fans, you know, like they never fucking name for it. They created it. And Johnny Cash, I think, in a very real way, created punk. I mean, he was rebellious, and it's yeah. fucking Johnny Cash. So. Yeah, yeah, it's Johnny Cash. He's he's unimpeachable. I mean, what you're, right. what you're describing is like, you know, uh, if you think back to the emo scene, like Sunny Day Real Estate was emo before emo was even really a term. Right. right. And so, like, yeah, to to that extent, and I would totally play Sunny Day Real Estate at Lip Gloss. I just won't play a lot of the stuff that followed up on, it. <laughs> and I can't try wine necessarily. Like, I can't, I can't define for you. I wouldn't. There, there feels like a purity and an indie aspect to Sunny Day Real Estate that I don't find 
in a lot of other emo stuff. And there are emo nights. It's a big night called emo night and they play all emo stuff and that's great. It's just not, yeah. I'm not going to play it. Yeah. Well, and you don't have to. So it's funny. You mentioned, um, you got a little burned out when, when your son was born and I, that I was made... burned out. Before, I was burned out before he was born. Okay. I've been burned out a couple of years. I think I've been kind of, you know, like I said, we were at a place called beauty bar until 2015 or so. And they closed, and I, I got very little, I got like two weeks warning or a week warning even. It was really short notice. And, you know, it was April and all the clubs in the fucking city were booked out. They had, they had stuff. And so I had to go on this mad scramble to find a place to take my party. And I ended up taking over to Syntax, which is an awesome venue, but it was a really bad fit for me, um, more for my crowd even than for me. Um, and it just, we had flopped. Like we, it, we went from 400 people the first night to like 75 in a month. Ugh. Like, crowd tanked people weren't feeling it and that i don't really want to get into why but it it just the venue wasn't willing to do what we needed to do for us to succeed and and it just really it became very difficult to go to work i was depressed i was just not feeling it um and then we moved over to bar standard which i think if we had moved to bar standard directly from beauty bar we probably could have made it work uh. bar standard is a venue and in that six six months or so that i was at syntax it just, that's, a, that's an eternity in club days, you know? And, yeah. And yeah. we did okay at certain times at Bar Standard. That's right, MGMT, and like, we just fucking crushed it. Like, it was like, we were 1,500, 2,000 people or something. It was insane. Jeez. Um, but as a weekly, you know, weekly, we were still pulling in 150, 200 people a night, but it's a big fucking venue. And it felt, you know, it's 150 or 200 people throughout the night. And so you get people to come in, hang out for an hour and a half and, and leave. And so the venue never felt full. It never felt busy. And it was a drag. And so I was just really feeling very burned out and unhappy. And that was when I was like, I'm just killing this night. Like, I'm going to move until once a month. I don't want to fucking do this right now. I just had a kid. I'm exhausted. Like, I need to find something else to do with my life. <laughs> um, I took that six months off. And then during that time period, I did some once a month downstairs at Milk Bar, which is downstairs from Bar Standard. It's in the basement. It's a smaller club. Yeah. And we're at a weirdo school. It's a great club. I love it. You know, it's where all the goth kids hang out. It's where all the people who are maybe seen as misfits. I don't think they're misfits because I feel like my people. This is like the world that I, I'm from, the world that I love. Um, but they don't, they're not the kind of people who are going to go to Laura. And I, you know, I started bugging management. They're like, man, I want to go weekly down there. And it's like, I got to think about it. Like I got stuck down there. And, you know, after a couple months of talking about it, he was like, let's just do it. Let's try it. And we moved down there and it, it took us maybe two months, but we were like back, right back on top. Like it just, it, it fits us. The room size is, you know, 250, 300 people tops is what you can fit in there, which is, you know, if you put 150, 200 people in there, it feels great. Yeah. Um, once we were doing that, once we were kind of bringing back that crowd we had upstairs at Bar Standard that felt very sparse, it, the word gets out, people start discovering it, and it's, you know, now every Friday we're literally pretty much wall to wall the whole night, and it's great. I think one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, I interviewed John Wenzel, God, eons ago on this show, but, you know, yeah. arts and entertainment reporter for uh, Denver Post great guy and he mentioned when he and his wife were both like culture reporters you know he was going to concerts every night of the week and he was you know you're out drinking he's like sometimes you want to just be in your house mm -hmm. just quietly you know having a simple dinner drinking like a glass of water and going to bed at a reasonable hour but you you know you love what you do you love music you love reviewing it you love doing all this stuff but it comes at a price and I'm curious, yeah. 
you know, your Friday nights are pretty much always booked. And yeah. so do you ever get resentful over that? I would say get resentful. I get tired of it. I mean, I do and I don't. It's, it's been Friday nights every Friday night for 20 years outside of the last 14 months, which yeah. in the last 14 months of not having reinvigorated. I was already kind of reinvigorated, but the, that time off really pushed me back. But yeah, it's, it's hard. There are times when there's like a concert I want to go see on a Friday night or I just, you know, it does, it does affect your life. Like it's, even when I don't go to work, I never go to bed before one ever. I, I don't sit down and have dinner and a glass of water and go to bed because it'll screw up my entire fucking sleep schedule and I'll, I will be exhausted at work. Like it's just, I go to bed at one o'clock. Um, I drink pretty much every night. Like it's hard for me to take a night off of drinking just because I've spent so many years. Now over the last few years, I've definitely moved to more of a one to three nights a week DJing tops. And I would say one night average, I will. I'd say two nights average, honestly. I think when the world opens back up, I'll be back for probably two nights a week pretty regularly. And, but back in the day, man, I was, I was four or five nights a week out DJing. And the other two, I was going out. And, you know, when I DJ, I would just get fucking obliterated every time. Huh. You know, like that part of the job. It was, it was, it's really hard to play. Some people can do it. Um, I've always had a very hard time being sober playing to a bunch of drunk people. Like it's just, I don't connect with them. I don't feel it. I don't make the choices I might normally make that are going to make people freak out because I'm not in their same plane. I'm in a different place than them. And so, you know, it's made me very much a functional alcoholic. Like I drink, <laughs> I drink a lot. I, I drink more than I should. Um, I definitely do better now than I used to do. I've learned to control it to some degree. And Well, and having a kid will do that too. And well, that's a lot. Of, you know, I still have a kid. Like I used to sleep till one every day. Like yeah. my wife and I, Julian, like we'd want to go grab brunch, and we knew all the places that did brunch until four instead of until until just two. Because <laughs> place by two, right? And but you know he wakes me up at between seven and eight every day. Like it's, it's that's when he wakes up, and you know my wife goes to work, and so I get up and let her sleep that extra hour, and I'm up after you know if if I work the night four, I'm up after four hours of sleep, and you know I I had to learn to tone it down because so now I you know I tell the bartender I'm like oh you pull me like. I want you to pour me a half shot in my glass. Like, yeah. you know, most people think they're doing the DJ a favor, and they are when they were very heavy-handed with their drinks, and the DJs get to get fucked up and party. And I'm like, man, make me a half a drink. Like, just that's my standard. Unless I tell you otherwise, I want, like, one ounce of vodka in my drink. And yeah. I can drink. I'll drink at the same pace I normally drink, but I'm getting half the amount of booze. Otherwise, I'm, I'm dead the next day, and I'm not there for my son, which I need to be. I think that's interesting, too, because... I mean, I've definitely found, like, in your own house, you know, you can play dance party, and dance party is always fun, like, when everyone is sort of, you know, drinking, and, like, you, you get on the same wavelength as people, and it's like, oh, man, you know what's going to be a banger next? You know what, you know, like... It'll be funny, but, like, you know, everybody's going to get the joke, because you're all, like, fucking drunk. Yeah. And it's and, fun. And, like, if there's a sober person there, they're like, what are these idiots doing? So, right. I, like, I totally get what you're saying, and... God damn, man. Like, what a job hazard. Because, I mean, that, in, in some ways, that sounds like paradise, right? That sounds like fun. If you, cause Kristen and I love partying. We love, you know, drinking and doing all that. But man, night after night, that's, that, that'll start said, to wear on you. I said jokingly earlier, and it sort of was, you know, I, I love my job. I get to drink and play music for a living. But part of the, another way to say it is I, I have to drink and play music for a living. I have a very, I, I have gone a sober month here and there where I'm just like, I'm not drinking this month. And I'll tell you, man, I don't like the, I don't have fun at the club. I yeah. feel like my mix is better. Like I technically do better at my job, but I don't feel like I do better for the crowd. I don't feel like I enjoy it. Um, and I think that's definitely a lot of DJs really, 
they suffer from substance abuse. Like it's just, it's part of the fucking job. And I, I give so many props to those DJs who like have gone and managed to go sober, you know, because man, I, I've been drunk almost every night I ever DJed like in the club. Like that was part of, that's part of the fucking deal. Now I don't mean I'm obliterated drunk, but I had buzz at least. Yeah. And that years, um, you know, of constantly doing that. And it does end up carrying over into your personal life because it's part of your job. But as we all know, alcohol is addictive and you get addicted to the feeling and you know, it's, like I crave it, like I crave it, man. Like I, I go to a restaurant where an old fashioned, they bring it over, and I'm just like, oh man, my blood alcohol is low. Like I, I need that, you know. Right. Like, um, and not like I need it like tremors. I don't have tremors or anything like that. But I really, really enjoy it, and you know, it's and it is an escape. I had a pretty shitty childhood, and you know, like lots of mental issues I had to deal with. I had to go through lots of therapy when I had my kid, and drinking has always for me been a little bit of a way of coping with with some of those emotional issues that I have, like drink to forget about it and not think about it. And sure. it works for me. Um, and so, yeah, it is a job hazard. It's a, it's a big job hazard. Does it, uh, does it ever bother you? Does it ever worry you? Yeah. 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 It worries me. I mean, it's, you know, that's part of why I moved to the one ounce a night thing. Cause I was like, yeah. realized like I'm, you know, I'm getting older and my liver fucking hurts and right. You know, it's it me a lot. Like I used to be able to drink like that and, not get hangovers and get up and do stuff the next day. And I find it's more and more of an effect. Like if I get really drunk, night before, I'm out of commission the next day and I've got a kid to take care of. And that's not fair to him. And it's not fair to me and my wife. And, you know, you just kind of have to at some point be like, I'm not fucking, you know, in my case, I was 30 when I started, almost 30. I was 29 when I started DJing. I was older than a lot of people start. You know, like I, I feel it now, man. I drink like that. I fucking feel it. And it affects me. And so I've had to like sort of tone it down. And I do worry, like, you know, I went to the doctor for the first time, I hadn't gone to the doctor in years because I didn't have health insurance. When Obamacare kind of got created, I was finally able to go to the doctor and I went in and they asked me all the questions. Like, how much <laughs> do I do lie? Do I tell them the truth? And I was like, I'm just telling the truth. And they were like, we need to take some blood tests. Like, you know, and I was just like, man, I'm going to, they called me up and they wanted me to come in. And I was just like, man, I'm going to come in and tell them my liver's dead and I have a week to live. And I came in, he's like, your, your cholesterol's a little high. And he's, he, he literally looked at me, he's like, do you really drink as much as you tell me you drink? And he's like, I was like, yeah. And he's like, your liver, your liver looks like a 22 year old's liver. He's like, your liver's <laughs> in He's like, I don't want to tell anybody that they're really good at drinking and probably somehow okay with where they're at. He's like, you must be really good at drinking. Like your liver must be good at this because it, your liver does not look like it's in bad shape at all. Wow. Um, which was shocking to me because I was terrified. I was literally terrified that like, I'm going to go in and they're going to be like, you can't have another drop of alcohol. You're going to die. Yeah. Um, but I worry about it. You know, it, it's, it's yeah. I worry when it's like really like I took two days off drinking the other, like last week since I was like, my, my liver is literally feeling like it hurt a little bit. And I was like, I just need to take a break. I got to rest my chemistry a little bit, you know? And, um, that two days was hard, man. Like I was sitting around watching TV with my wife. I'm not even going out. I'm hanging out with my wife at home. Yeah. And I'm like, all I want is a glass of wine. I'm just one glass of wine. You know, like you have to know it's some fucking drinks. Um, you know, so I'm drinking seltzers and trying to like pretend it's a fucking drink. So I feel like I'm having a drink, but my body knows I'm not. I know I'm not. And yeah, yeah that worries me. You know, it, it's, it's a worry when taking a night off of drinking is that hard. Sure. It shouldn't be. But it is for me. Like it's it's really hard for me not to have drinks. But luckily, my liver's good at it. So okay. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those things where, I mean, our bodies are just like it. It's like a constant game of chance. We never know 
what what on us is going to be good and persevere and what is going to break down unexpectedly i don't no one can right. ever predict that even and doctors would tell you that like you never right. ever know your liver may be operating great and then one day you wake up and you know it's crawling out of your mouth trying to get away and <laughs> um, that sounds absolutely terrifying and if you have not sold that pilot um <laughs> it's a version of the thing or something yeah uh, um, but I definitely experienced some of that when, um, when I, I think I finally kicked smoking for good because smoking cigarettes was something I just, it turns out I really, really liked to do. Yeah. Um, just, the, just the act of it was amazing. I, and, I smoke socially at the club. I, I do. I smoke every Friday and I have a lot of two to three cigarettes, but I've never, I've been able to do that over years. I've never gotten addicted to cigarettes. God um, bless you. That, be, but I, I enjoy the shit out of it, but the alcohol, I got my vice. Like I, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, and I love, I love alcohol too. I mean, we drink frequently around here, like, and it, it, it feels fine. Granted, it's not part of my job. It kind of was when I was having to schmooze a lot when I was in my corporate gig, but you know, it's, it's weird when that's part of the, the job, but I, I definitely felt that I'm like, for a long time in my brain, I'm like, you could, you could just be smoking right now. And I'm like, yes, I know that. Thank you. Can you stop reminding me of that? Yeah. And now I go more days not thinking about it than I do thinking about it, which is great. And so being able to flip that switch well, was nice for me. But I feel you, man. It was a challenge. And I, I think the fact that you're candid about it and the fact that you're honest with yourself about it is useful and helpful in terms of just understanding where you are, where you want to be, and you know, kind of what the potential landmines out there are. Yeah. It's a struggle. It's what I'll probably struggle with until I... Well, I mean, I'll probably struggle with it unless I quit drinking at some point. And then I'll struggle with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. You drink anymore. But now there is. It's a constant battle of like, okay, I need to like pace myself because I'm very, it's, I don't drink during the day. I'm not like a day drinker. I'm not like somebody that wakes up and has a whiskey in the morning. Right. I don't generally drink until 9 p.m. at night, like 12 hours. That's, or unless we go out to dinner, I may have a glass of wine at dinner or something. But, um, you know, it's really easy for me once I start drinking. There's like a switch that flips off. And then I just, keep going like it's really hard once i start to stop and i don't drink till i vomit or anything like that. i don't drink till i pass out right but it's like once i start being nine i consistently have a drink until i go to bed there's a drink there for me i sip on it and i keep sipping on it and you know it's not uncommon for me to go through you know two-thirds of a bottle of wine in the night just sure. sitting around watching tv which you know it's a lot that's a lot of booze yeah um, i mean it is and it isn't like it, sure. so i but it's it's a lie. It's still it's it's more than a, a man should be drinking every single night of the week. Sure, and I um, I mean I understand that. So yeah, I mean I know my kids wake up with the sun, especially like yeah. one of them. God, one of them is up by like six every morning and is dressed and like comes out like dressed and ready to go. Seriously, by like oh. so we have an okay to wake clock that goes off at six fifteen, so she can't come out till six fifteen. <laughs> um, and it's pretty much every morning where she's out at six fifteen. She's waiting for it to go off. She's looking at it. Right, watching. So yeah, I, I'm curious. You mentioned you and Kitty, both night people. Kids are day people, man. I haven't heard you mention this, and I I can't believe I don't know this. But DJing is your is your job, right? Or do you? Yeah, ha- yeah. That's nope, I don't do anything else. That's 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 my income. That's it. Okay, well that's that's helpful. But how has it been adjusting to? That schedule change because here's the thing that people don't understand too about when you're working late at night, you get done with that and it takes a long time to come down. Oh, 
yeah, I mean, I go home from the club and I've been around loud music and lights and people and, you know, kids used to be like, why don't you just come home and go to bed? And I'm like, I can't. I come home and I have a glass of wine and I kind of sit in the couch for a half an hour. Like, I have to. Yeah. Like, there's, you have know, all this adrenaline, like this, like your mind just has to like sort of separate itself and know that it's somewhere else. And that's, it's hard. I mean, it's, you know, I, I generally on the nights I get home from the club, I'm never in bed before three. And it's generally closer to four. Um, yeah. And the next part is part of the reason I went through EMDR therapy just to deal with some of my shit. And that was one of the things that really enabled me to start not pounding as many drinks and to start saying, okay, I can, you know, I don't completely depend on the alcohol to fall asleep now. Like I, I've learned some tools to deal with things and dealt with some issues in the past. So I don't need to pound as much booze. But, you know, before that, I was just waking up in the morning with my kid and just, he was really little. I mean, he was, you know, under a year. Yeah. About a year. Um, and I would wake up and I was, the kid would go to work and I would just be fucking useless. Like, just, which was fine when he was like six months old, but he didn't care. Like, he'd just sleep on me and I, I'd wake up as the day went on. And by about noon, I was ready to like be a dad and interact more. But as he got older, like a year, a year and a half, he really like would, like, I'd put my head in a pillow and he'd start trying to pull the head out. Like, I, I'd lie down on the floor with him and my head on the couch pillow. And he started trying to pull the pillow out because he wants me to play with them. And I just realized, man, I'm like, I'm being a shitty dad right now. You yeah. know, like I'm not here for my child any night that I worked. And so that was when I started going to therapy and when I started being like, pour me half drinks, man. Like just, I, I know you want to pour me big drinks. I'll tip you more for pouring me half drinks. Like I don't <laughs> want to get fucked up. I, I need to be somewhat, like it's still rough in the morning. Like it's still, the, the days I DJ, the mornings are rougher, but I'm, I'm just more able to be present, which is important. You know, like it's important to me to do that. And yeah. it's also better for my body. And it's, you know, I find that I enjoy my days more and I still with half drinks, um, can get, you know, buzzed enough at that evening at the, at the club to have a good time and to be in the same place as a lot of people there. Yeah. Instead of drunker than them, which is often where I was. So one thing I've never said on this show before, but I realized recently is that the John you hear right now, the John of all trades, John is a persona. It's, it's one that I have and it's not, I mean, it, it's certainly who I am, but it's not who I am all the time. I'm assuming when you DJ, you are a different version of yourself. Um, Just under. do you ever have a hard time delineating those or are there times where one spills over into the other and like, how does that affect things? I don't think I have a hard time now. I think back when lip loss was fucking massive. And I didn't have my wife. I wasn't really dating anybody. And I was DJing four or five nights a week. And I was, you know, at that point, I was really well known. So like I was, I was, you know, Denver famous as someone insultingly called me once. Um, <laughs> yeah. What a left-handed I, compliment that one is. Right. Well, they were trying to insult me. And I was like, I, I'm not insulted by that. I am Denver. I'm like, it's great. I know everybody in Denver. I go totally. to another city. I, you know, I might know some people in a lot of cities, but it's like Denver is where everybody knows me. And cool, man. Who are you? You know, like. <laughs> Uh, you know, cool. I'm Denver famous. You're, where are you famous? And maybe you don't want to be famous and that's fine, but I liked being famous in Denver and I enjoyed it. And it was really great. I could, you know, when I first started dating my wife, she was like, God, everywhere you go, like, it didn't matter where I went, any restaurant, mall, fucking DMV, there'd be like 10 people that knew me and that I knew and they all wanted to come say hi and just like always buying the shots and drinks. And it was great. But it also, at that point in my life, I didn't really have anything other than DJ. Okay. Like I was, I, I was in school. But, you know, like DJing was my thing. That was all I really cared about. And, you know, I was, I was, and I DJed every night, like literally, I'm not kidding, four or five times a night. And then two nights I was off, I'd be going to concerts or 
bars or whatever. And everybody, that was my social life was my DJ life. Yeah. And was my party. And so I think at that point, I really did have a hard time delineating between that became me. Like that's there. I think there was another me that was there, but that was a very lonely, unhappy person. And, you know, that was the person who was there when I get home at 4 a.m. and didn't man, no friends came over and I didn't manage to hook up with any girls. And so I'd have to go home alone. That person was the one who would go home and just drink myself to sleep because I couldn't be that person. That person was not happy. That person didn't really have an existence outside of that persona. And yeah, it was a hard place to be. You know, meeting my wife was one of the better things that happened because she sort of got to know that other person and liked that other person. And I sort of learned that that other person is important and valuable. And, and then as the party lost some of its, its like, I think the party's still very well known and it's a, it's a popular party, but it's not what it was in 2000. Eight or 2009 when we were just like massive we yeah. city really you know as that party's lost some of that and people now come to the party the only thing they don't know my name they don't know who I am they know I'm that DJ that they talk to once in a while but I'm not like I'm not this persona where it's like oh my god he plays at the Ogden you know once a week opening for these big famous bands right. and blah, blah, blah. it's enabled me to sort of differentiate those two personalities which is a much healthier way to live that's useful I mean what you're talking about is is very attractive and it it sounds very fun and it's I would say it is a reason that someone might want to get involved in this like what you're describing that's an aspirational goal especially if you're younger right yeah and it was a blast and if I had been a healthier person I might have been able to deal with it better but I wasn't a healthy person emotionally I think there are actors and actresses and rock stars who do that and they are able to build these to have that persona enjoy all those perks if you want to call them that. And then they're able to go back to their normal life and be that other person and be happy yeah. doing that. I was not one of those people. Like I was miserably un- unhappy and miserably unhappy. That's what I was miserable and I was a drunk. And so I was just drinking all the time. So it was like, that was a very attractive way to avoid dealing with anything. And so, yeah, I think some people might be able to step into that and be successful. And for me, it was a really bad place to be at that point in my life. Yeah. On some. When you combine those elements, uh, it's certainly, pardon the pun here, a cocktail for unhappiness. I, I think I think you've described it beautifully because one of the things I like to do on this show is I always like to talk with people who have achieved fame, notoriety, success, whatever you want to call it, and it's different in each industry. What's interesting is there are always, always potholes along the way that you can never anticipate. Like, no one knows how they're going to react. Like, if all of a sudden... You blow up, you get notoriety, and I know it didn't happen all of a sudden. You build this thing over time, but all of sure. a sudden you look around, oh. and, and you mentioned going to DM, going to the DMV, and having people recognize you. Right, like in some ways, there's no way to prepare for that type of human experience. There's not, yeah. And so, like hearing you describe it, I think has has been enormously insightful and just captivating, and I really appreciate your candor in doing it. Sure, it's, it's you know. It's nothing I'm ashamed of. It's, you know, it was a, it was a pothole I fell into and, you know, I, I'm much happier now. Like I, my party's still successful and I'm able to make a living at it. And, you know, at that time, all I wanted was for me to be famous. Like that was my thing. Like I, you know, I want to be like the star on stage. And now, man, I just like, I love throwing a good party. Yeah. I, I I'm happy from lip gloss now. And it's, you know, we do, you know, three or four people a night and it's, and the crowd's fun and I have a good time and, you know, I'm not the star of the show, even though I'm the one DJing, like it's, it's, it's okay. If I just see all those people having a good time and they don't even look at me once, but they're having a blast. I'm happy with that. Like that feels fulfilling to me. 
Yeah. Um, far yeah. more than, you know, walking into a, a grocery store or something and being accosted by somebody who's like, oh my God, how are you? It's so cool to see you. Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, people calling me by my DJ name, which is Floyd Hollow, and it's terrible. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's uh, yours and has been forever. I got going through. So, um, you know, but yeah, it was like people would literally introduce, hey, this is Floyd Hollow. And I'd be like, no, my name's Michael. Like, why, you know, and that was a thing for a long time. Like, that was how I got introduced. And it drove me fucking crazy. So I'd be like, even then, I think there was some part of me that wanted to maintain some yeah. different persona. But man, okay. I get it. Well, dude, this has been incredible. Uh, I know we both got to run. Uh, so here's the part on the show where we do plugs. Where can people find you? Where can they uh, uh, go experience lip gloss? Anything you want to plug online, real life? Do it now. Um, lip gloss is at Milk Bar every Friday night, which is at 1037 Broadway uh, in the Jonas Furs building underneath Bar Standard. Uh, you enter through the alley and back. Um, other than that, I, I don't do any other regular parties. Um, I do brunches. Uh, every weekend, Ophelia's, whenever that reopens, they're doing some remodeling. So that'll reopen in September. You can go to facebook.com slash lip gloss party, and I tend to keep up with the events on there of all the stuff we have going on. And, uh, you know, I, I do not just lip gloss, and I do all my other events through that page as well. You can go to lipglossdenver.com to sign up on our email list, which is very infrequent, so you won't get a lot of <laughs> Well, fantastic. I will link to all of that in the companion blog piece. That's on johnofalltrades.us. Also in the show notes, if you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and now, as of recently, Pandora. So, wherever you get your pods, uh, be sure to check it out. Stay up with Michael on that. Boy Hollow, congratulations and my condolences on having to have that name. You said it's a terrible name. Uh, but, you know what? Uh, our name is our name, and you've got a lot of equity built into that name, I would say. So. Exactly. Dude, what a thrill. Uh, I can't wait till we're together in real life again uh, because it's... I'll get you drunk on my dime. I have a big big, uh, allowance on my booze. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm not going to turn that down. So, (laughs) Michael Trundle, I wish you nothing but continued success. Thanks, brother. It's good talking to you. And that'll do it for episode 296 of the John of All Trades podcast with Michael Trundle. Boy, hollow creator of lip gloss man what a show what a guy what a conversation congratulations i'm gonna take you up on that offer here soon cannot wait to see you out there the john of all trades podcast is a production of deft communications check out deft on the web d-e-f-t-c-o-m dot u-s i do all manner of traditional pr training content engagement i'm also a podcast producer in addition to this show i produce three others I've got another one starting up in august so need help concepting a show, getting it off the ground, or producing it, I'm your man. D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Our sponsor is 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you're doing online, 4Degrees can help you do it better. Whether you're making a campaign, doing social media marketing, online advertising, trying to reach the people who need to hear your message most, 4Degrees can help you get that message right and then deploy a strategy Get those people right where they are and take action. They're amazing what they do. Number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Stay up with me on social media. J-O-A-T pod is the handle. That's Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Facebook is the only place for exclusive episode previews. Those go up on Mondays. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. I'm out of here for this week. I've got a brand new episode ready for you next week. Cannot wait to bring it to you. It's with an old, old friend. That one's going to be enormous fun. I think you're going to love it just as much as I love featuring. So until then, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And until I hear you again, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.